Hello and welcome to the Hidden Node Podcast. I am here in person with my friend Nick Turner. We just got back from the Wireless LAN Professionals Conference. Do we want to talk about that a little bit? We definitely should talk about it. I am feeling almost like I've recovered. Yeah, I don't think I'm there yet. I think it's going to take me, uh, I think it might be a couple more weeks before I feel recovered from that. We should probably talk about what the, what it is first, though, for somebody who might not be familiar with the Wireless LAN Professionals yeah, Conference. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually had a realization this morning. Um, so Wireless LAN Professionals, the Wireless LAN Professionals Conference is always abbreviated to WLPC. Like if you look up hashtag WLPC on Twitter, you'll get a bunch of stuff about it. But I realized that there's actually an acronym inside an acronym. Okay. Because Wireless LAN Professionals is the name of, of you know, the, the, the organization that puts on WLPC, and it actually has an acronym inside of it, Wireless LAN. Mm. LAN standing for Local Area Network. And I just realized how incredibly kind of geeky and nerdy it is that we go to a conference that has an acronym inside of an acronym. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a good clarification there. WLPC is Wireless LAN Professionals Conference. Mm -hmm. And that's a, an enormous gathering of Wi-Fi professionals. Yeah. How many people this year? 350? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I think it was 350 or 400 in, in that ballpark anyway. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know about you, but the Wireless LAN Professionals Conference is kind of the highlight of my year, my professional year. Because it's when I get to see all my professional friends. There's a ton that happens at the conference. Uh, it is also the most demanding week of my year. Probably physically the most demanding week of the year for me. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. Um, what I Possibly. I mean, I really have enjoyed WLPC. Uh, I've been to all of the European ones. Uh -huh. And this was the first time I've come out to the US for a WLPC. And it was, it was pretty great. Uh, definitely... You know, larger scale, many, many more people. Uh, I found the venue to be pretty good, although it was easy to become dispersed, I think. Yeah. Is so, that something that's happened before? Or? No, no. Okay, so um, so there's, just for just for anybody that's listening to kind of get the full picture of what's going on here, the Wireless LAN Professionals Conference uh, takes place in two places. There's the U.S. one in uh, that's down in Phoenix, and so that one's like spring. It's always in Phoenix. And then the European one moves around a little bit. Um, I've only been to one. I went to the one last fall uh, in Prague, and that was really fun because I got to take Serenity, and that, that was great. It was mm -hmm. just really fun to go. And, of course, you were there. Um, and But in the past, in the Phoenix one, we were at a small hotel in okay. Phoenix that could only accommodate 200 people. That was like, that was it. That was the max. And the nice thing about that is it kind of, uh, uh, it kind of distilled everyone down into the same areas, and so you weren't spread out at all. Okay. Whereas okay. at this hotel, it was a big hotel. Yes. Pretty big. I spent, I feel like I spent a fair bit of time walking between the conference center and my room. Yeah. Trying and different routes. You know, I, there were different ways I could go. I could go on the ground floor or I could go up two levels and then take a bridge across between these two buildings and then try and, trying to work out the most efficient way to get from where I am right now to my room. Uh, you know, trying to work out these different routes through the hotel complex yeah i, I kind of did the same i spent i felt like there was a lot of time in transit i think that there's kind of a um i think there's kind of a, a takeaway from this though is that you a conference needs to pick a hotel that is appropriately sized 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to some other conferences where it was like at a massive hotel, like a you know, like a like a Gaylord Opry hotel, whatever the thing's called. Those mm-hmm. are just huge, stupid amounts of huge. Okay. And when you have a conference of three hundred people at a at a hotel like that, everyone gets lost, and you don't know where anyone is, and there's no community, there's no congregation. And I did enjoy the past WLPCs and how they were in a small hotel where everyone was all put all put together. This one, I, I would say, it was essential to move to a larger hotel. Right. You? I guess you haven't been to the. US I have one. not been to the previous ones. Well, you know though how it was always sold out. You you knew. You knew of that, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of a lesson to be learned there, though, where it's like you got to pick the the you know the right sized hotel for uh, for the conference. But in this case, it was essential that WLPC moved sure, to sure. a larger one. Okay. Yeah. What would what would you say the highlight of this year's WLPC was, if you have one? Definitely the community. Uh, you know, these are all really close friends of mine, people that I work with all the time, whether, you know, some of them from my company, some of them from companies that I've worked with at the past, many of them lifelong customers, yeah. people have that, that have been customers of mine through my entire you know, Wi-Fi wireless network career. Nice. So getting to see those people is really special. It's really fun to get to see them all at once. You know, everybody jumps into a Lyft or an Uber yeah. and goes to a coffee shop and stuff okay okay ma- well you had a lot of preparation to do didn't you well yeah i did the couple of weeks leading up to the conference were just incredibly busy with yes getting pre- getting last minute prep done basically i bit off way more than i could chew and so uh and so i, I did spend a lot of time like you know okay now I, now I need to get this ready to go i need to get this ready to go and that was totally my fault but okay. but to answer your question though it was definitely getting to the community that okay. that was my highlight what was your highlight of the I conference i think my highlight was just coming out to the us for wlpc and having mm-hmm. been to the w having been to the european ones and now an opportunity to see what it's like over here in the US and meet some of those personalities who I have followed on Twitter but never met in person. Yeah. And you know, more and more of this weird phenomena of who who is this person? And then you look at their badge and figure out, okay, right, I think I think I already kind of know you, but yeah. never met you before. Yeah. Well, okay, here's an example of that. I met Dan Jones. At the conference, you know, who was our guest on the last podcast. And uh, it was really cool to get to spend time with him. And, uh, oh, uh, maybe we should mention, too, that he totally came through on the Mac Mini. Like he, I guess he had his guys, like, throw some hardware in there for me and uh, set it up nicely. Fantastic. Yeah, that was that was good. Um, okay. So let's just continue with WPC for a moment. Because sure. we spoke previously about you having some troubles with PCBs and that was all in preparation for WPC. So what was the resolution? What happened? Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing an emergency order yep. from a Korean PCB manufacturer mm-hmm. and they arrived about four or five days before I left for the conference. And so I just barely had time to you know test those. I didn't have time for you know, plan C, if those didn't work out, right, it would have been a disaster, but it wasn't uh, 100 boards showed up, they worked. Uh, we we assembled about 60 kits for the packet potato and took those down. Uh, and then we uh, and then we took down uh, about I think I got 29, 29 kits soldered. My brother in law, Tyler came over and helped me solder a whole bunch of kits together one night. Okay, so hang on, just just clear, just help me out here. So 
many of these boards were for use during your deep dive. Yeah. Okay. Twenty. But also. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So twenty of them were for the deep dive. Yep. Forty of them were just kits, just for uh, you know, just to let people buy if they wanted okay. to get one, just cool. for fun, toys to take basically. Yep. And then twenty nine of them were assembled, tested, ready to go. And I wanted it to be 30, but when it's like 2 a.m. and you're soldering together the last one the night before you leave, and you're mm. just like, I don't care anymore, that's that's kind of what happened. Okay. So, but it worked out, and I got a delivery notification this morning Right. that, uh, <laughs> it's like, what, four or five days after the conference? Yeah. I got a delivery notification this morning that the Chinese ones have shipped. So that is justification, then, for your rash actions and yes. ordering an additional order from Korea. Yes, absolutely. Out of interest, what was your impression? What was your feelings from this Korean PCB manufacturer? The flawless. Yeah. I mean, would you use them again? Yeah, I think so. They were a bit more expensive than the Chinese vendor. Okay. Quality difference? None that I could tell. All right. None. They well, no, actually I would say that the screen printing on mm-hmm. them where you know they print letters and indicators and stuff in yeah. white or whatever color. Uh I felt like the screen printing was a little bit sharper sharper okay yeah. so a slight improvement over maybe the... slight All right but you know the screen printing the markings on the board themselves are purely for you know it doesn't need that it's not important at all understood so, so um so i taught the soldering deep dive there but i'd like to hear about your well first off um at wlpc they have these things called deep dives can you explain to the listeners what a deep dive what is a deep dive yeah so the conference this year was three days three days long so Mm -hmm. three days of actual conference Mm -hmm. and towards the end of day one and day two there is a two and a half hour session and when people were booking on to wlpc when they were registering and buying their tickets they had the choice of several different deep dives And so whereas the main conference is everybody in one large room observing 10-minute, 30-minute, or one-hour-long presentations, the deep dives are an opportunity for everybody to break out into separate groups and focus in on a specific topic. And you would then spend two, two two-and-a-half-hour sessions, so five hours' worth of content in total, in a very short sharp and sweet classroom environment which typically include a lot of hands-on stuff too not just listening to someone speak but working on a project yeah working with stuff yeah so rather than a presentation more of a workshop yeah yeah uh and so what what deep dive did you you taught a deep dive which one did you teach i did yeah i assembled and presented a a workshop, oh, well, a deep dive on Ekahau report templates. Mm. So how to how to get the uh, trying trying to address this uh, concept of how do I pull data out of my Ekahau project files using the report engine and breaking you know maybe breaking the ice for people who have seen report templates before but not had the confidence to wade in get get in there and get really deep into writing code inside microsoft word or for those of uh, for those people who already have some experience with the report templates the idea was to improve improve their knowledge and ability with it by going through some of the workflow that i do when building report templates and this is this is building reports for from wi-fi site survey data in 
Akahal, yeah. Akahal Pro, Akahal yeah. Site Survey. Either 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 site surveys or or simulated project files where it's just this thing of I feel like many people uh, in the wireless industry, some people get paid to solve problems there and then whilst they're on site. And some people, uh, myself included, when I was working for value-added resellers in the UK, my job was to go on site and do uh, problem discovery and then reporting. So that first initial stage, why I was there on site was to collect data and then we were paid to produce report documentation. But not really fix the problem not, right then and there. Not there and then, no. That, for business purposes, that was something different. Okay. The 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 fixing of the problem would be a separate PO, basically. A separate purchase order. Got yeah. it. Okay, interesting. How well do you think the class was received? I mean, do you think people liked it? I think so, yeah. I got... I got some very good feedback. I also got some feedback, constructive criticism, mm -hmm. that maybe day one was a little too, little too basic. Okay. But the 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 thing that I faced here was I don't I was trying to make sure that we could bring everybody up to speed up to speed at the you know so everybody's on the same level playing field. Yeah. But the feedback that I received was generally positive, but in a weird, strange way. Positive feedback doesn't help me yes. refine. Yeah. And that's not to say that I don't like receiving positive feedback. I absolutely do. In fact, if anybody has positive feedback for me just generally as a person, you know, tweet, tweet it at me. Oh, yeah, you know, at you, uh, Nick J.V. Turner. He'll take all the positive yeah, yeah. feedback I'll, you'll I'll send him. take all of the positive feedback you possibly no can. No negative. Uh, but, yeah, the, the constructive criticism, whilst sometimes difficult to swallow, and I might not enjoy receiving it, it's useful for refining and improving the uh, class that I have developed. Yeah, I I agree that sometimes, you know, negative feedback, while not necessarily fun to hear, is actually way more helpful than positive feedback. Uh, so, yeah, well, cool, man. I'm glad things went well. Um, I, I heard lots of great things. Okay. Um, yeah. I hope, yeah, it was a lot of fun delivering the class. I will definitely make some tweaks and changes to it now for, and, and fingers crossed, I will get the opportunity to deliver it again in the future, maybe at a another WLPC, perhaps. I, I think you will. I, I, I think you will. Uh, building and teaching classes is fun, isn't it? I have discovered that I enjoyed it, yeah. I, I enjoy it as well. It's uh, it's really fun. And also, after WLPC... Uh, you uh, you didn't just didn't just go to Phoenix. You also visited somewhere else in the United States. Yeah, right? we tacked on an additional trip, more of a, a cultural exchange, a ah. continuation of the cultural exchange. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. And you like how I like baited you into that. Like, <laughs> let's talk about the next thing, Nick. <laughs> the next thing that we did, which was what, Nick? So yeah, we took a, an internal domestic flight within the USA. From Phoenix to Boise, which you've never so so you've never taken a domestic flight inside the U.S. before. Have I taken a? Not that I remember, because I remember when we landed in Boise. Uh, uh wait, just to get everybody up to speed. Yeah, Nick Tank came to Boise, which is where I live. Boom. That's hopefully that okay. There we go. Squared it Spoiler. away. Spoiler. Yeah, but when we landed at the airport, Nick's like, 
wait, we don't have to go through customs. Hang on like, a minute. Why has Serenity just walked up to us and we haven't been through passport control yet? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's because we're in America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think of our cute little airport, the Boise airport? It was absolutely fine. I mean, it, it's what is interesting there is that I don't think I've taken many flights which have not been international. So in the UK, I rarely fly domestic. Right. There's very... I mean, I suppose I could fly to Scotland, but even then, the time involved, sometimes, the the time involved versus the hassle of then not having my car with me and my equipment doesn't work out. So I would sometimes choose to just drive if I was going to go to Scotland. Yeah. Uh, Which means that most of the time, my flights are international, and therefore I'm used to passport control. uh, The layers of security and... Yeah, hassle both yeah. sides of that flight one thing i do have to say about living in a city like boise the airport is pretty small we have like i don't know something like 10 15 gates security's a breeze here hmm. you know i mean i've i have tsa pre-check so i have a little bit of an advantage but i've never taken any more than about five or ten minutes to get through security ever usually it's about 30 seconds so yeah for me which is a little bit strange it's more like getting a train i mean you just rock up get on the mode of transport and then we're we're moving oh wait what do you mean like getting to the airport no just like the experience at the airport so for me at london heathrow it's an hour i need to be there at least an hour before the flight is due to depart in fact in the uk there's a law which states if you're there 35 you must pass the security gate 35 minutes before departure wow I have missed one flight in my life, and that was due to this law. Wow. So I arrived 30 minutes before I got to the gate. 30, sorry, I got to the security 30 minutes before the flight, and they refused me entry. Wow. So you couldn't even get through security because you missed it by five minutes, Correct. basically. Wow. Now, I have missed checking bags before. Okay. I have pulled up, to, you know, walked up to the ticket counter, like, hey, I need to check a bag. And they're like, uh, your flight leaves in 15 minutes or, or boards in 15 minutes. So I'm like, so? And they're like, you have to have your bags here an hour before the flight leaves. And so they're like, we'll have to book you for the next flight. And I was like, no, screw it. I'll just grab what I really, truly need out of that bag. It was like a situation where I was like, I think I was taking monitors with me to a trade show. Okay. And I was like, I'll just buy a monitor there. And it was fine. It wasn't a big deal. I just had to go back to my car and leave my bag there. But whoa, whoa, you were able to get back to your car? How does this work? Explain it to me. Well, the parking garage is like, I don't know. It's like a two minute walk from from the ticket counter (laughs) so i just you just took my bag back out to my car popped open the trunk i mean i moved quickly you know i was i was feeling a little bit stressed if i'm honest about how i was feeling but no there was plenty of time to run back to the car drop the bag just go straight through security and get to my flight i mean i don't know the other day i i think i got to the airport 20 minutes before my bite my bite before my (laughs) flight boarded And it was it was fine. So yeah, advantages of, of a small airport. But that's crazy though, because in in at London Heathrow, it's ten fifteen minutes from my car to the terminal. Just to the terminal. Just to the terminal. I mean, it depends which car park you you go to. I mean, there's yeah. bu- there's the regular car park, long stay. There's the business car park, which is then a, maybe a ten minute drive. Right. Uh, then there's the like Terminal Five in the UK has a po- has like autonomous pods that you can jump in, and they'll take you from a different yet another separate car Whoa. park that sounds cool it is cool but is it worth the 40 pounds extra to to stay in that car park probably not i mean yeah the, the pods are cool but they're not that cool 
Well, one thing we've had happening in Boise is um, we've experienced this rapid expansion here that the car parks are actually completely full by like Monday afternoon. Okay. So like if you have a, an early morning flight on Monday, you're fine. You'll get a, a spot. Yeah. But anything after Monday afternoon, especially Tuesday morning, the car parks are totally full. And I live 30 minutes away from the airport. And so one thing I've had to do lately is I just have to get a ride share to the airport because I can't count on having parking when I arrive. Okay, so rideshare, that's an umbrella term, general term for Lyft or Uber. Lyft or Uber. And we should specify here that Lyft is L-Y-F-T. Yes. Because earlier when you said Lyft, I assumed you meant an elevator. Uh, Which which is funny because in the US, we don't call an elevator a Lyft. We call it an elevator. Yeah. 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 A a Lyft is actually, that's a way quicker, like, let's grab the Lyft, you know? Yeah. That's, whereas, you know, in the US, we have to say, hey, let's take the elevator. Screw this. This is taking too long. Let's just take the stairs. (laughs) Right. Just while we're on this topic, Joel, in your mind, when you enter a building, what mm-hmm. floor are you on? First floor. On the first floor. So what? what's the what's the floor above you? Second floor. The second floor. And the floor below you? Uh, that is like basement. Mm. Yeah. Zero, maybe. See, I'm not so happy with this. I see, in my mind, I enter a building on the ground floor. Uh, that, all, yes. Yeah, no, 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 no. That That makes perfect sense. Okay. Yeah, so that's still not the way. So you would do ground one, two. Yeah, I w- so I mean, this comes down to site serve my my Wi-Fi work, and uh, amazingly, we've managed to skirt around the whole Nick visits Boise thing. So let's get back to that in just a moment. Okay, but just while we're here, I just thought it was amusing that, yeah, for me in my own mind, if there is a building and it has an entrance that leads out to a street. It's a ground. It's ground. Oh, now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of buildings which have upper ground and lower ground. So they are two levels of a building. Will they be like G1 and G2? No, they call them upper ground and lower ground. Oh. But the point here was that there were two times at the WLPC conference where, yeah, I was going to the wrong floor because it was, oh, yeah, yeah, go to the, go to the second, go, go to the, um, go to the second floor. All right, well, there isn't it. There aren't, there aren't three levels here, right? Because second floor would mean zero is ground, first, second. Funny. I, yeah. But uh, so in my house right now, Nick's at my house, just to make it clear, we're in my office. Yeah. Uh, you're on the first floor right now. Well, this is residential, so I would Ooh. say we're upstairs. You would say, oh, just upstairs. I mean, how, how simple and basic is that? We are up the stairs yeah but upstairs. yeah but then how do we label my elevator you don't have an elevator well, why did you have to tell everyone that now they <laughs> now they know i'm just a normal person <sighs> uh have you ever been in a house with an elevator i don't not that i remember i did a wi-fi design for a house that i i didn't I, to be honest i didn't get to go into that house and take measurements and stuff i just had floor plans you're right it had an elevator. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And it wasn't even like a huge house, but okay. it totally had an elevator. I suppose for accessibility, oh, though. What's that? There, there might be a, there might be scenarios for accessibility reasons. Yes. You have a, a, an elevator. Yeah. Well, okay. So one thing that you noticed about our house is that our master bedroom is mm. on the ground floor. Yeah. See what I did there? I said on, ground floor. You did say ground floor. Thank you very much. Um, I feel very... I didn't, uh, that wasn't even intentional, by the way. It just kind of happened. I like how, you, I like how you've embraced... The... I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Ah, but, but, but you noticed it, though. You were like, whoa, whoa, your bedroom is on the ground floor. And t- so that's actually a thing. In That's a thing, at least here in Boise, where uh, especially for, for elderly people, older mm. people, 
uh, a house with a bedroom on the ground floor is hugely desirable because uh, for people with limited mobility, it makes life a lot easier. Okay. Yeah, well, there is a similar thing happening in the UK where bungalows, which are houses without a first floor, are becoming more desirable, even oh. though even though they're not being built. What's wrong? What's happened? So you're uh, he's you're looking at my <laughs> facial expression. <laughs> so so a bungalow. Yeah. The definition of a bungalow is a building without a first floor, maybe like a garage or something like that down below. I think. Well, in the UK, a bungalow would just be a single story house. So my parents built a bungalow style house. Okay. It is has the appearance of a bungalow. Mm-hmm. It's two floors. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, but that was a stupid side. No, bar. no, 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 no. Please this continue. is good. This is good. So is it though? Is it the in the UK bungalows are becoming desirable because they are not being constructed? Okay. Because they are an inefficient use of space. Because two floors, you can store more things in and more people. Right. But bungalows are becoming pop, becoming more in demand because of that same thing where uh, with an with an aging population, people desire the ability to not have to climb stairs in Funny. their in their older years. Funny. Well, see, but as a you know, as a family guy, you know, I've got three kids. Uh, like getting a two story house was very desirable mm. for us because it just I just think it makes a home more interesting. Yeah, a single floor home is just kind of I don't know, it's just kind of boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I think the interesting thing there was that it just stood out to me because in my home the master bedroom's on the first floor. It's upstairs. So more <laughs> I'm doing air quotes here, but yeah. more general like the more typical house design in the UK is downstairs you have like living room, kitchen, lounge, playroom whatever and then upstairs are the bedrooms yeah but i kind of liked i kind of liked it like it that your master bedroom's on the down on the ground floor and uh we like it too we we would have been fine with when we were because we only bought this house like a year and a half ago we would have uh we would have been fine with the master bedroom on the second floor but it was definitely kind of a plus that it was down below we liked that and for me it's kind of just a bit quirky and and i like it have you ever seen an upside down house uh, where like the kitchen and everything is on the second floor, upper floor. Yeah. So where I live, there's a, a relatively steep hill for a residential area. Uh-huh. And there's a particular road along this, uh, like a branch off of this road on a hill. Mm-hmm. And they have upside down houses where because of the rake of the land. Rake? You, oh, I think rake is an appropriate term. Just steepness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they might not be. Well, like on motorcycles, we refer to like the, the basically the pitch of the front forks yep. on it. That's called the rake. Okay, so maybe yeah. I am right. Maybe I think I you am. are. Uh, because of this rake, uh, because of the incline of the land that these houses mm-hmm. are built on, you have a road, and then you enter the house on the first floor. Mm-hmm. So you en- the, you literally enter the house upstairs, and then you can go downstairs. Oh, gotcha. So it's yeah, an upside yeah, yeah. down house. Yeah, um, we have those in many places in the U.S. Okay, like I, I'm thinking back to like I, I grew up on the coast, the Oregon coast, and yeah, there like in anywhere where the geography is 
unique. Mm. Well, like here in Boise, I mean, you've seen, we, we live on basically a plain in a big valley. Here. Yes. Uh, and there are hills, there are mountains around. Yes. Um, but, but we live in a plain. It's very easy just to build very cookie cutter style houses without, you know, very specific or specialized engineering. I mean, there's engineering that goes into it, but it's, but the floor plans are just kind of, you know, you have your kitchen and your garage and all that and down, downstairs, upstairs, bedrooms, maybe a bathroom, maybe a bonus room above the garage, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But no, where I grew up on the Oregon coast, where the where there's significant changes in elevation and things, yeah, you would definitely see unique construction okay. like that all the time. I feel the need to just backtrack very quickly and correct myself. I said you'd enter the the building on the first floor. That's that's not true. With these upside down houses, you would enter the house on the upper ground, and then you could, and there would also be a lower ground. So yeah, not a, not a ground and a first because. I literally just explained why if there's a building that has an entrance to street level, then that would be a ground floor. Oh, man. What if we start talking about the differences between, you know, potato chips and French fries and cookies and well, biscuits? Well, I'm and... in the U.S., so I feel like we need to conform to the U.S. Well, what did we have for breakfast this morning? We had, well, we didn't have chips or crisps. No, we did not. <laughs> but we had oatmeal oh, instead oatmeal. of... Instead porridge. Of porridge. Yeah. But that's porridge for you, basically, right? Yeah, I would call it porridge. I actually really enjoy the slight differences in the in Yeah. I enjoy it. I think it's fun that you know, uh that when you and I have a conversation that we kinda have to stop and think about, wait a second, are we talking about cookies or actual biscuits or what's going on here? I enjoy mm. that. And I, I think it just makes things a lot more interesting. So speaking of uh speaking of like uh, you know, you coming to visit visit Boise and all that, what do you think of Boise? What 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 do you, what, you can be honest. It's what okay. do I think of Boise? I mean, I wanted to comment about how big the sky was here yeah. because, like you mentioned, we're in a valley and uh, you have these beautiful mountains in the distance, which are a fantastic, beautiful backdrop to everything I look at. And the sky is enormous, which is a yes. weird phenomenon that I experienced when I spent time in Canada as well. How, how, how does that work? How is the sky bigger I mean, surely the sky is the same size. Yeah. But geographically here, you look up and the sky is absolutely enormous. You could see it everywhere. You could see a storm coming from very far away. A long, long way away. Whereas in the UK, I don't know about what, I don't know whether it's UK all over, but certainly the area in which I live, you just don't get that. Because you kind of have rolling hills. Yeah. You have trees everywhere. Um, for those of you that, for those that are listening that don't know, Boise is high desert, which means once you leave town, it's, it's, you know, to the South, it's rolling Hills to the North, it's mountains. Uh, but, it, but it's just like sagebrush and, you know, very low lying vegetation, no trees. Okay. Yeah. No trees. That's, that's a fairly good descriptor because the thing is for me, when you say desert, I instantly think sand and cacti. Yeah. Which we do not have here. Which is not here. And yeah. in fact, I was very... I was very uh, enthused to see in Phoenix that there were, you know, cacti. Mo- movie, like television movie style. Oh, yeah. Cacti. Total there. like Looney Tunes. There's a yeah. cactus thing. Yeah. I That excites me as well. When we go to Phoenix, um, a, a couple a couple Wireless Land Professionals conferences ago, uh, one of my friends drove me down to Tucson to pick up a Macintosh and and there's like totally just legit cacti everywhere they're like 10 15 well like 10 feet tall they're you know mm. for you to be a couple meters tall 
I uh, yeah. We went so for a cool. hike. We went for a hike one of the mornings at WOPC, yeah. and uh, at one point, I very nearly put out my hand to steady myself on an enormous cacti. And you then you realized? Did you you realize that 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 was a bad idea? I realized before my hand made contact that that was not such a smart way of uh, preventing myself from slipping. Maybe slipping would be better than hugging a cactus. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of cactuses, you or cacti. <laughs> yeah speaking of cacti you met our cacti bob <laughs> i did briefly meet bob bob the cactus this is my daughter's having <laughs> cactus and his name is bob and nick met him uh and uh what did you think of uh what would you think of going inner tubing last night inner tubing do you say inter tubing no inner it's inner. an it's an inner tube inner tube because it is inner inside a tire inner okay tube. okay inner tubing or tubing yeah, or just those. tubing. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it. I don't think... Oh, no, you know what? What do we call it in the UK? Maybe it's just called rubber rubber ring? Rubber ring. We, we do rubber have tubing. Rings. We do have tubing. Where where I live in, uh, in Bournemouth area on the south coast of the UK, there's a dry ski slope. Okay. So a dry ski slope, because we do not get snow, yeah. there is a artificial... There is an artificial hill, okay. and it has bristles on it so it looks like uh, lots and lots of toothbrushes okay and these bristles are a way of simulating a, a... does it work yeah yeah it does i i learned to ski on this dry ski slope really yeah yeah wow like d- is there more friction than you would normally get i mean from it's, real snow it's or? an approximation of real snow yeah. one thing i would say is that learning to ski on this horrible toothbrush material made the conversion of what i've learned on dry ski slope to real snow a breeze so real snow was easier to ski on real snow was much much easier but because i learned on this horrible approximation as it took about an hour and then i so this was at a school trip in fact so i learned on dry ski slope went out to italy on a school ski trip was placed in a group appropriate to how much ski experience i had which was zero mm-hmm. but because i had learned the theory and technique on horrible dry ski slope in about an hour i was moved up two groups because i was then able to uh, make the changes necessary to switch you know in my mind between the dry ski slope and the real snow and suddenly boom i was quite relatively speaking good at skiing it's kind of like i guess it'd be kind of like teaching someone to drive a manual transmission and then for their driving test having them drive an automatic yes yeah, yeah suddenly things became much much more simple interesting <laughs> thing i did so last night we there's no snow on the ground here right now like it's totally just no snow and then and, and the uh the the little tubing hill that we went to is the exact same elevation as our house it's like 10 minutes away and i was in complete disbelief that it was a thing I quote, I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I yeah, I just didn't believe it. I was like, there's no way that they have a hill with snow on it. There's no snow. And uh, and they've got big signs up that say snow, tubing, blah, 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 open. And I'm like, well, no way. And then we round the corner and there it is. A, a hill big, of snow. A hill of snow and just this big patch of snow in the middle of a snowless landscape. It was pretty funny. Yeah. And I think for clarity, I mean, it was a hill... And there was a coating of snow on yeah, it. Which, like a couple meters thick at most. But it hasn't snowed at this elevation, has it? Not in weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, so yeah. 
we also saw some snow machines. So it, it it's manually, it's artificially created yes, snow. But, but it was legit snow. But it is real snow. One, uh, one thing I did think was funny is that yesterday was definitely above freezing. And then we got there and right it was freezing right as we got there. And so we go to the top of the magic carpet, you know, lift yep. thingy, which I thought was really cool. And there's a couple of high school kids at the top that are basically responsible for, uh, you know, how many people can be on a tube based on conditions, how many people can go down at once, that kind of thing. Yep. And we get up there and the, the high school kid at the top is like, yeah, so uh, so it's just all freezing now. So it's really, really slippery. So we're just going to send somebody down and see how it goes. And if they don't die, then we'll let more people go. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. And so, yeah, they just kind of sent. I don't know who went first. Was uh, it me? Might have been. Or yeah, was it was you. probably you. It was Maybe probably it was you. you. I don't know. But, but yeah, we started going down the hill, and yeah, it was slick and it was fast. But the kids had a good time. That was great. That was that was time well spent. I'm really glad that we went and did that. Definitely. No, I really really enjoyed it. It was a good. Uh, it was a good you know, energetic, uh, you know, we used up some calories. It was quite, uh, adrenaline inducing when you yeah. like throw yourself off at the top of this. And then, uh, I mean, it wasn't enormous, but no. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was pretty good. You almost like you, the, the berm at the bottom mm. that like catches you and redirects you at 180 degrees mm-hmm. around mm-hmm. you very closely because <laughs> you were like diving off of the end and like, you know, getting some air on the jump at the end. And I was watching a couple times. So I was like, Oh, 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 oh. And I asked the guy, like, what's on the other side of that berm? He's like, it's just a sheer drop off to nothing. I'm like, wow. Yeah, that was good. I'm glad I'm glad that we, we did that. So, Nick, while you've been here, yeah. um, you've been having to use, um, you know, U.S. dollars for everything. I have. Do you – so every time that I travel internationally, yep. uh, I have trouble with uh, – I have trouble with currency conversions as far as – well, no, it's not currency conversion I have trouble with. It's – uh it's fees international fees uh you know yeah what what kind of experience have you had Mm. here with that on the money side of things do you have any uh tools or tips or tricks or what have you been doing as you've been in the u.s this time around yeah well before before we go there just very quickly so you have a debit card with a bank yes and when you use that debit card to spend in currencies other than u.s dollars Mm -hmm. you get a an unfavorable exchange rate plus a bank fee yeah and that becomes quite a large number when you're doing several transactions yeah i mean i purchased four hundred dollars worth of 3d printer filament from prusa in prague yeah and yeah i got hit with some pretty big fees for that it wasn't awful but it was not great either and so the question then is are there banks in the US which will offer you zero tr- zero fee foreign transactions? Good question. Monzo Bank, for example, once they start offering US accounts, mm-hmm. I suspect they will be offering zero foreign transaction fees. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so I have I use my, my debit card, which is a Monzo Bank mm-hmm. card. They do not charge fees for spending in foreign currencies but what you do have is an exchange rate and i don't get any in fact they're really good the app will tell me as soon as it detects that i'm in another country it will tell me what the exchange rate is on that day and uh, there's a whole system about when you make a transaction it comes up and tells you well we think this transaction is going to be uh 
£7.50 because it was $10 or whatever the exchange rate is at the moment based mm-hmm. on today's exchange rate, but then it doesn't become solid until, or it doesn't become, con- it doesn't go uh, bold on the app until it's confirmed because possibly the next day the exchange rate would be different, da 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 It's a bit of a game, isn't it? A little bit of a game. and but But there are no transaction fees. So, you know, credit where credit's due, Monzo do not charge foreign transaction fees. And then bizarrely, I did get, uh, I do have an American Express credit card at the moment, which mm-hmm. I had in my mind, this will be my business sole source of spending, mm-hmm. but they do charge foreign transaction fees. So even, wait, even uh, in America when you're visiting, right? which is funny because it's literally called American Express. Yeah. So that kind More of like American excess, <laughs> someone else's joke, not mine. <laughs> So I've got to re- I've got to re-review my American Express credit card because it might be that it's not worth the fees that I pay to own that card. Uh-huh. Because- I I did not know that you had to pay to have an American Express. I didn't yeah. know that. Well, because it's all a membership. I mean, yeah. it's all a club, right? So, I mean, I have a, I currently have an American American Express Platinum card, and that gives you a whole bunch of perks yeah. uh, access to different lounges in airports and status with certain uh, hotels which is valuable there's yeah. no there's no there's no questioning it but and I don't even mind the fee that they charge because it's basically you want to be part of the American Express Club that's fine it's uh, 600 pounds a year to be part of this club and provided you're getting 600 pounds worth of you know perks out of it then then that's great it seems like if you're not careful, it's easy to be upside down on that. It's, I think, easy to be upside down on it. And I'm upset by the foreign transaction fees. I would have thought that a card that costs £600 a year to be a member of this club would not additionally charge me fees for spending in foreign currencies. So, what's the what's the answer to all of this? Well... Another one of these fintech companies that I'm an app first, although this company does also have a website. I'm now talking about a different company called TransferWise, and TransferWise they have a uh, they have a, a tagline called uh, they have a tagline which is "Bye Bye Bank Fees," and their whole premise is that they offer a debit a checking account, so a, a current account which can hold multiple currencies. So I can hold US dollars, I can hold GBP, I can hold euros. And the the smart thing about all of this is that this account also has a local entity and address. So for example, if I wanted to receive US dollars, I can provide, I could provide you, Joel, with a US bank routing number so you would be able to send me us dollars without incurring any kind of international fee so if you sent me 100 us dollars my transfer wise account would receive 100 dollars no fees and not but it would not receive british pounds exactly you send you specifying it oh well, yeah without no. you transferring it within the application exactly nice and their 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 whole game is if you want to transfer between these currencies you can do it when you choose to but you still have to pay fees when you do that there will be a fee is it as bad it's 
it's minute. Okay. In fact, I'm not even sure if they do charge. It might. I'd need to double check. I haven't. I just have not bothered transferring or exchanging any of the currencies inside my TransferWise account because mm-hmm. the the next level of uh, complexity with this card, and I say complexity as though it's a bad thing. The, the next thing that's really useful is that. I have an account. It has GBP, euros, and US dollars stored mm-hmm. inside it. But now I'm in the US. If I use that debit card to buy groceries, I'm spending in US dollars. No fees. So there's yeah. So I'm not gaining any. I'm not getting any points as that I would do if I was using the American Express card. But I'm also not spending any money on transaction fees. And also, just not clogging up the bank, the the bank ledger with a whole bunch of stupid tiny fees mm. everywhere. So, I mean, so far this is the first time I've been in the U.S. with my TransferWise a- account, but it's been really, really good. Uh, and they do have, of course, they do have a uh, referral link, which I'll put in the I'll put in the show notes. But just just a quick disclaimer, I'm sharing this information with you because I thought. TransferWise was really good. Wait, if, so they're not paying you to say this? They are not paying me to say this, and I want to share my referral link because, hey, like, who wouldn't? But I, I'm not sharing it because I want people to use this referral link. I'm sharing it because... You legitimately <laughs> think it's a great product that you're really excited so about. So far, my experience with this has been great. And there's an app, and you spend in the... You know, I, I use my debit card, and then boop, my app, my phone buzzes, and there's a reference of that exact transaction. Yeah, I've been impressed with the way it works. So this episode of the Hidden Node podcast is not sponsored by TransferWise at all in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> but we think it's really cool. And so if you're interested in trying out TransferWise, then... Uh, Use the coupon code at check. No, wait, that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> that is not what we're doing here. <laughs> but we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll put a link down the show notes. Nick will put a link down the show notes if you want to check out TransferWise. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I'm going to take a look at it. Yeah, they they do offer U.S. based accounts as Excellent. well. That's important. I don't know. I don't know what other countries you can sign up for a TransferWise account. I would, if I had to take a guess, I would guess it was U.K., U.S., Europe. And Australia, because they they are the currency. Oh, and Poland, but oh, and Poland, gotta get Poland in there, uh, because those are the currencies that you can transfer r- around in. Yeah, well, you can root. In fact, TransferWise will let you store any currency. Yeah, but there are only five or six currencies in which five or six countries in which you can gain a local bank routing number. So is this the kind of thing you just go and you you sign up for an account and there's an app yep. and things like that? Yeah. yeah. I used one, a, another financial tech application that's probably worth mentioning the other day. Um, I used privacy.com. Okay. So uh, do you remember when we were in Prague for WLPC in Prague? Yeah. There was a castle there. Okay. Well, Jerry, that you know, that Jerry that we always talk about. Oh, yeah. That Jerry. Everybody knows Jerry. Uh, Jerry and his wife and me and my wife, we went up to the Prague castle Yeah, and my wife bought a map there. Okay. It's a beautiful map. It was printed on paper that was made at an old, like the oldest paper mill in all of the Czech Republic. And they packaged it up very nicely in a tube and we painstakingly brought it home. You know, it was at your house for a bit since we stayed with you on the way home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got home and my wife pulled out to show somebody. And then we had some kids over and they played hide and seek. Right, and the 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 map was put in the corner of her office, mm-hmm. and uh, the kid, somebody, we don't know who, oh, but at oh. some point, a kid went and hid in that corner and just crunched the map, 
And then to make matters worse, I was like, well, maybe we can iron it out. And so we, you know, we like we tried to iron it and just smeared. Oh, it was just awful. Uh, we were so sad because we got this map all the way home. And so then I was texting Jerry, like, Jerry, do you have any idea where the gift shop is that we bought this thing from? And he managed to track down an email address for them. Okay. And I emailed them and explained the situation and said, like, hey, I would love to buy another map from you. Is there any possibility? And they came back and they were like, we're so sorry that happened. We would love to sell you another map. Let's sell it. We'll sell it to you at a 25% discount. Okay. And we'll ship it to you for this much. And so, and so then the one sketchy part of it is that they said, we don't have a way for you to order this online, but if you fill out this PDF and send it back with your credit card information, we'll send you another one. Okay. And I'm like, eh, okay. I, I, they're a reputable organization. I'm not really worried about them. Mm. I am worried about my credentials being uh, you know, intercepted along the way. And so I, I went and got a, an account at privacy.com. It's a virtual credit card service. Okay. So you give it your debit card or credit card, and then it just adds, it just gives you, you know, basically a one-time use or random use credit card number on top of that. I don't think it even cost me anything. Okay. Now that I think about it, I think they charge the, the person running the card, not you, which I yeah. think is actually very typical for credit cards, but it worked great. Uh, you could specify like, you know, only allow this credit card, only allow, you know, $200 per month to be pulled from this credit card number or whatever. I just used it that one time and it worked like a champ and we got the map. It did get damaged in shipping. Oh no! It, it, a couple teeny tiny wrinkles, not a big deal. We decided that is, this is fine. This is great. And the whole thing ended up actually costing less than when we bought it at the Prague castle. So, but anyway, shout out to Prague castle for, Excellent customer service, being just really fantastic. And shout out to privacy.com, who is also not sponsoring this episode of the Hidden Node podcast. If you are privacy.com, though, and you'd like a sponsor, if you'd like to sponsor somebody, then. Oh, yeah, get in, get in touch. Yeah, get uh, in touch with us. That's cool. I like uh, in when I, when, I, when I spent time in Canada, they had these one use, well, uh, one, like one off purchase credit cards. So you could go to the, you could go to the store, spend 100 Canadian, and then you'd have a credit card. Or a gift or card? a dispose. Well, yeah, but it was a but it was a debit like debit or credit card. It was just a card with a hundred pound, a hundred Canadian on it, which you could then spend. And that's really great for if you're signing up for some sort of service that you really are not a hundred percent confident with. Yes. So an example here would be a uh, like a newsletter or yeah. some some service which yeah I'm interested. I want to check it out, but I'm not sure I want to. And I, and I and I don't mind paying for it, but I also don't necessarily want to share my real bank yeah. details with you. Yep. And sounds like a great case for privacy.com. Yeah. So I'll definitely or, check that out. I guess also just going to the store and buying a Visa gift card. Yeah. Is that what it is? It's a Visa gift card. I guess it is. Okay. Yeah. You know, I find it interesting that all of these fintech banks are all MasterCard. I had noticed that before. Yeah, there's not... I've not I come across... I don't remember what my privacy one is. I'll go look and I see. I bet it's MasterCard. Yeah. Because I guess that Visa is uh, higher with their fees. Must be something there. I think we can go <laughs> and talk about 3D printing impressions now. Another element of my visit to, to your home, Joel, was the opportunity for me to see your 3d printer setup yeah because you ordered the prusa mini like what five on, years ago on your recommendation yeah actually it, like yeah. a decade ago at this point right but it yeah i mean to be honest i think we i think we've touched on this before but 
I have been interested in 3D printing for a long for for quite a while, and I have people have told me, Nick, you should definitely get a 3D printer. But you, it was your comment that look look Nick, look the the Prusa Mini probably we're now we're taking a big step towards this being a product, uh, something that you can pick up. It's it's still a ho- it's still a hobbyist um, toy. But, Very good analysis. But it's but it's now not it's not going to take all of my time tweaking and. Uh, playing with it in order to make something print well. So here's my, here's kind of how I've always explained it. Up until recently, um, having a 3D printer was the hobby. Now, 3D printing things is the hobby. The the printer isn't the hobby anymore. It's the making things with the printer, which is a pretty magical place to be. Okay. And it was that, it was that comment to me however many months ago that, pushed me over the because i nearly bought a mark 3s the first time round. we right. had this bigger badder well now you're seeing both you, you I mean you're, you've you've had an experience to, you've you've had some experience with both of them now um what do you think of the mark 3s what do you think of the prusa mini and what do you think of your decision that you made to buy the mini okay i'm gonna answer those in reverse order okay my decision to buy the mini very happy with i I'm impressed with its size, the way it looks, the way the screen works. Uh, I'm I'm impressed with the experience of using the Mark, uh, the the Mini. Yeah. Now po- potentially revealing my ignorance and naivety, na- naivete, naivety. I, both of those would have yeah. passed with me. I uh, ah, but the print volume is lower on the Mini, and that's going to be a problem. Yeah. So I have no idea if that's going to be a problem because although my mind jumps to the idea like, well, I'm going to need to be able to print something big as well as something small. So obviously a, a, a larger 3D printer is better than a smaller one. Yeah. But we had a discussion about that possibly not being the case. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about printing big stuff with a 3D printer. Well, think about, look at the mini. It's about seven by seven by seven. Mm-hmm. It's approximately what's that. What's that in uh, real? What's that? It's, it's a 16, it's a 16 centimeter cube. In is seven inches in centimeters is seven, 17, yeah, oh. about 18 centimeters okay. cubed, something like that. Um, so, you know, think about what you could fit on that print bed. Mm-hmm. Just looking at it. You could fit a coffee cup on yep. that very easily in fact yep. a coffee cup will fit on 100 by 100 by 100 print yep. bed no problem at all it's just that there's a lot of things you can print in that size when you go big when you start printing bigger mm. first off it takes forever i mean i've got a couple prints coming up that i need to do on my mark 3s which is about a 9.5 cubed um sorry what's that in real measurements again let me see nine i have a computer nearby you don't 9.5 inch is in <laughs> 24 centimeters cubed but when you go to print something big yeah. first off it takes forever i have a couple of large prints that i need to do okay they're going to be over 24 hours of wow. printing yeah it's gonna take a long time and even just finding a block of time where i'm not on a conference call don't have any podcasts i'm gonna be around to keep an eye on it right yeah i guess it's also worth pointing out that your 3d printers are in your workspace yeah i mean in your office yeah we're talking my like Literally, the mini is sitting between me and you, and then the uh, and then the mark my three Mark three S's are two feet away from me, something like that. They're very close, and so yeah, like if you want to record a podcast on a mm. Sunday or something like that, I can't three D print a lo- a big object like that. It just yeah. takes too long. The second thing about a large print 
is that um, the larger of a footprint something has, yeah. as it cools, it contracts, and it has a tendency to warp up off the bed, right? Okay. Now, the, those problems have gotten a way, way better in the last couple of years. These printers especially really minimize that. Okay, because they have a heated bed? They have a heated bed. Okay. Uh, printing with, uh, we're printing with better materials than we used to. Right. Um, specifically, PLA has a way bigger tendency to warp. Uh, PETG does not. Mm-hmm. It still does, but it's not. The tendency is way reduced. And so, I don't know. Like people are always like, "I want the biggest printer I can get." You know, <laughs> I want a printer I'm gonna haul home in my Ford F three fifty. You know, <laughs> I want an American style printer. printer. Yeah, that's what they want. They want American sized printer. <laughs> and it's like, no, ninety nine percent of the things that I need to three D print, yeah. I can do on the mini. Okay, no problem. So interesting. And yeah. Am I right in thinking that Prusa are going to release a large form, uh, a maxi? Yes. Okay. That it was kind of a joke actually when I was in Prague and we went and visited the uh, the the Prusa factory, uh, since that's where they're located. It, it, he, the guy that gave us the tour was like, "Yep, everybody's been asking us for a larger 3D printer, and we have a small announcement coming up about that." Okay. And it was like two days later they announced the mini. It was pretty funny. Like nice. in retrospect, I understood exactly what he was saying. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's gonna, it, it, it's, I don't know, it's uh, gonna be interesting to see what they come up with, but for me personally, a larger 3D printer doesn't really excite me because I very rarely need anything larger okay. than the Mini, and extremely rarely do I really need the print volume on the Mark 3S. Okay, so my initial impressions are, this is fantastic, I've been really impressed by just how quickly you were able to turn an idea into yes. an object yes and we've been playing with a raspberry pi zero and the and, and a proto board which has female header pins on it it's all intended for prototyping and uh yeah you, the, the speed at which you were just sort of talking with me about oh yeah it'd be kind of nice to have some support struts you know some standoffs and then we and then i'm um, um, denied about you know could we print something so small would it would it work because these items are these objects are very very small and just the ability to oh let's try it and then you threw it together very quickly in possibly not my tool of choice uh, in sketchup <laughs> sketchup um, yeah, I know. which which failing. is uh yeah. but but nevertheless like the the speed at which you you drew the model you did, did digital digital calipers to figure out the dimensions of the standoff that we would need and go so i remember back have you seen the movie iron man Mm, yeah way back in the day mm-hmm. it's pretty older it's an older movie at this point mm. but that it was uh, there was a big there was a moment in there where you know tony stark does his crazy design things for the suit yep and he kind of just hits the manufacture button and yep. all of his machinery jumps into life and just kind of makes it for him uh which is a little bit ridiculous or is it mm. because now i can have an idea and model it up take you know a few minutes to model up an idea and then you know slice it put it on a put it on a memory card or a flash drive in the case of the mini plug it in the mini and hit print and make sure the first layer sticks to the bed and make sure we're all good and then walk away and an hour and a half later come back and there's the part yeah it's magical i I, i'm impressed i mean i knew that i knew that 3d printing would change the way that i approach some of the problems because currently I, I say I have a a small bracket that I need instantly at the moment. My only way to get an object to do that job is to start Googling 
and then trying to find either a, an object that's intended for that purpose or something that I can repurpose. You know, I can buy this, but if I cut it in this position, then but then I only get one shot at it because maybe I deform what I buy and then it doesn't quite work and blah, 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 blah. So this idea of iteration with, with physical objects is magical, pretty magical. And, and at the moment we're dealing with just plastics, but even 3D, even metal 3D printers exist, right? They do. They're not in the consumer space. No. Uh, but they're out there. Yeah, I was watching a video, uh, I watched the YouTube video about them designing a... Um, like a mini Mars rover. It was an exploratory vehicle, but by printing in 3D, the 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 possibilities that then be- became a, uh, available to them were were huge. So, for example, they could route they could route the wires to the motors on the ends of the legs through the center of a hollow leg. Yep. But they and of course you could say, well, you could do that with a pipe. Well, yeah, you're right. But we're looking for an incredibly light, structurally sound design. And yeah, they were talking about 3D printing these shapes, which would just not be possible with milling. It does open up a lot of possibilities for manufacturing. I mean, uh, on the WLAN Pi case that mm. I 3D print, uh, that uh, it's, a, it's a case for a, a little uh, computer tool that wireless networking professionals use. There are aspects of that case that you could not mill, you could not injection mold. Yeah. 3D printing is the only way to produce that part. And so we've kicked around the idea, you know, I've printed about 400 of these cases now. We've kicked around the idea of getting a mold made and doing injection molding, but the design would have to change because it is designed for 3D printing as it is today. Interesting. So yeah, 3D printing does open up a lot of doors. I'm hey. really glad that you enjoyed the mini. Yeah. I think it's cool. I'm very excited to get hold of my one. And uh, maybe that will happen in the next uh, few weeks. Yeah. Cool. Maybe. Uh, we... I want to talk more about 3D printing. I think. Ah, uh, yeah, we will. I think there's, uh, yeah, some some significant more content to cover with them, and uh, yeah, and where we kind of go with the this creation of of objects and uh, prototyping. Well, there's one last thing we need to talk about before we wrap it up. Go on then. And that is our other not a sponsor of the podcast today, <laughs> which is Bombas socks. <laughs> Bombas this... socks fit your feet. <laughs> really nicely your feet don't stretch the sock the sock fits on your foot and so so far nick and i well i don't know nick ordered these bombas socks because we heard about them on another podcast and uh and he gave me a pair and i love them so far i absolutely love them i'm not i'm not sure yet i like what i i like what i see so far but uh once i've once i've used them for a few more days then i will by the way that's not the same pair of socks for a few more days i would typically <laughs> just wear a pair of socks what? for i actually did i like these bomba socks so much i put them on late in the day yesterday i'm actually wearing them again <laughs> that, but that wasn't a full day of use no. was it and also i think no. padding around the home is different than wearing them in shoes and that's out and right. about yes so so far i quite like them uh, but I don't know whether I like them because I heard about them on the podcast on a, another podcast and now I finally have a pair in my hands or whether I like them because of their design and the way they feel on my feet. So Yeah, well, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll give you our report next time whether we really like Bombas socks or not along with our official paid sponsorship because I expect them to contact us in a moment now. <laughs> Nick, uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on and recording. Thanks for coming to Boise and visiting. My this pleasure. Fun to record in person. 
Uh, and also thanks to uh, everybody that's been listening. Check well, out the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much to everybody at WLPC as well who had listened to the podcast and had comments for us, both yeah. positive and negative. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really fun to get to talk to everybody and have all those kind of side conversations, kind of continue the conversations that Nick and I have. So cool. Well, let's uh, let's do this again soon. Let's wrap it up. Thanks right. very much, man. See ya. Ciao. Bye. Even though I'm not actually leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I'm taking, still here. <laughs> I'm taking you to the airport soon. So, yeah, yeah. got to go in like okay. uh, 30 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, better go and pack. Okay. All right. We'll shut off microphones now. Bye. Bye-bye.